Okay, all eyes here. I would like to announce that Ben and I are planning to produce a musical number from Godspell for the talent show tonight. <clears throat> I'm sorry, Ben is producing. I'm directing slash choreographing. I'm only speaking from personal experience, but if you can't carry a tune, don't come into the audition environment and waste our time. For serious, okay? Okay, and bring a lot of movement clothes, a.k.a. jazz shoes, dance belts, lycras, et al. And seriously, FYI, you guys, this is not an excuse to get out of your regular activities. This is an excuse to do some good musical theater. So be prepared, be enthusiastic, and leave your bullshit attitude and baggage at the door, because we don't need it. Hey, you guys. Welcome to Queer Horror Cult, episode 35. Wow. Shit, that's crazy. Right, right before I came over here, because um, my sister and I were gra- garage sailing. Sailing on the it. sea of garages. Yes. Um, I was dropping her off at home, and I mentioned, I was like, well, I'm going to go over, because, you know, Lori and I have, have a podcast episode to record, and my middle sister is like, you guys are so committed to that. I love it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we kind of are, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we kept up with it. I like that we haven't missed a week yet. Yeah, that's pretty cool. At most, we were late by a day on one because of a technical difficulty. Oh, and that was way back when, too. Yeah, that was way back when. So we're doing pretty good. Um, building up that goodwill with the audience so when we finally get lazy and I was like, we need a week off. You know, Hopefully you can just sit with it. <laughs> Hopefully. Yeah. Okay, okay. So this week... I don't know, would this be considered sort of a, a meta topic in that we're looking at the stage and how it's presented? Oh, the world is a stage, man. Oh, the world's a stage, bro. Was that in Bill and Ted? Or who, who were we, what were we watching? No, maybe it was one of the movies we watched. This was like, as they say, oh, the world's a stage. And I'm like, Shakespeare said that. <laughs> Nobody else said that. Everyone Pretty sure that was the notoriously the awful, awful last movie, movie that we we're watched. Talk about? Yeah, I think you're right. Yes. Oh, yeah. This will be a bit of a divergence of an episode in that we are going to be talking about a movie that we fucking hated. And it sucks ass. And, and normally, yeah. like, I, I know I said I'd rather just talk about stuff I like than hate and all that. But this is one of those things where it's like perfect for the lineup. Let's watch it. And oof. Mm. Big giant oof on that one. And it's like, well, I don't have anything nice to say, so we're just going to rip it to shreds, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so it'll be a bit of a divergence for us. Mm -hmm. But before we get to that, uh, today we are talking, of course, about theater and uh, how it plays into horror movies. And uh, before we actually get to the movies, I wanted to give a little brief history on. Oh, God. Here comes some bad French. Le Théâtre du Grand Guignol. <laughs> it's the Theater of the Grand Guignol. It's mm-hmm. um, a movement. Or I guess it was an actual theater. It stood for... Uh, the translation is the Theater of the Great Puppet. Mm-hmm. And it opened in 1897. And like within a year, they decided, all right, how are we going to draw the masses in? We're going to do gore plays. <laughs> they basically invented the splatter film before film. And they just did plays that were splattery, gory messes. And that was kind of the draw. It was come in and see live murder and excess and abjectness. Everything that you that we think that the uh, Colosseum games were in ancient yeah. Roman times. Yeah, I mean, this was all fictionalized, of course. This wasn't yeah. like we're actually murdering people on stage. They could just go to the town square and watch someone get guillotined if they wanted to do that. <laughs> That's true. Um, it was recreated naturalistic horror as they called it because Mm -hmm. it shied away from the supernatural monsters and the bizarre in favor of issues of insanity and uh murder plots and stuff and paranoia and stuff like that that is so french yeah that's just all i have to say about that (laughs) yeah yeah um and it peaked in its popularity in the era between the two world wars because okay. around 1930-ish, there was a switch of directors, and they went for more psychological horror, and mm. attendance ship just went in the toilet. 
or you mean it started elevated to drop. horror and <laughs> what they elevated the horror and like the fans were committed to what they were committed to I'm not sure exactly what kind of a point you're trying to make. I'm not but sure yes. either on it. Like, because I, I don't get me wrong, I like both, but mm. yes, this idea that we have to make it intellectual and something, and then it, there's just something really, really nice about hearing that that they tried to like. Oh, we have to. That you know, it's it's not broken, but we're still gonna try and fix it, and it just yeah. shit the bed. Yeah, I don't know how badly shit the bed. It did kind of fizzle out in popularity, and ended up shutting its doors in 1962. There have been some uh, revivals throughout the world. There was one, I believe, in Milan. There was a Grand Guignol Theatre for a little while. Um, It's popped up in recent years in London and stuff like that. Uh, In uh, L.A., which, interesting. Of course! (laughs) I read some interesting tidbits about this theatre movement when I was looking into it. For one, the reactions were often people would vomit and the... uh, original founder guy he consider he wouldn't consider a play a success until people were fainting during it and he said it averaged out to about two faintings per showing and they would play about six short plays in a row and they'd alternate between comedy and horror to try and like make the contrast even more difficult so that way people be like oh having a light laugh and then a play for example one is uh, these two women uh, older women committed to a mental asylum are jealous of their cellmates so they gouge your eyes out with a pair of scissors mm. and that's a play so hey where where was this theater when i was doing drama as a right? minor right <laughs> I, I did see some cool dark shit when i was doing theater stuff but it was usually like a little treat here and there it wasn't yeah. the norm that's yeah for sure I did get to see a really cool play about Frida Kahlo that Ooh. parts of it were pretty excessive and extreme. And I remember the next day in the class that we were assigned to go see this play for, someone was so upset and so mad that they made us go to this because it's like, how dare you? This was such a shocking and disgusting play because of like one scene with a little bit of bloodshed, I guess. And oh, it was yeah. like, I was like, are you kidding me? This is like the best play we've seen all year. And I don't <laughs> even say that as like a, like just because I'm a horror fan, I also say it because it was actually good. Yeah. Um, there was one particular performer at the Grand Guignol who, her name was Paula Maxa. She worked there from the end of World War One to the, when it kind of flipped the shit in the 30s, right before World War Two. who had the quote attributed to her as the most assassinated woman in the world because she was <laughs> killed in these plays over 10,000 times. Holy shit. And so that was, she just played the victim so much. And, uh, that's kind of how these plays went, um... Shit, I got off t- topic, wasn't I? I was talking about reactions. Because there's another reaction that happened, aside oh. from vomiting and fainting. It was people would get aroused. Oh, And they God. had these little boxes, because the theater was built in this old cathedral. So they <laughs> retrofitted the confessional boxes, as like at least according to Wikipedia, as like little fuck booths. Oh, Jesus. And people could just like get down to town in these these uh, booths and sometimes the the cast of the play would have to tell them to shut the fuck up because they were fucking too loud or something like that. And it's like good god that is i thought some of the movies we were watching so for French. this were pretty <laughs> yep thank you Desad. <laughs> exactly a little bit of the marquee in us all i guess i suppose yeah so I... that was a little brief brief history of this spectacle but it's the idea of the spectacle of gore as horror kind of thing like this is definitely a precursor to the splatter flicks and mm-hmm. like today think like torture porn movies mm-hmm. right yeah how do you feel it figures into modern horror cinema? Because I know you kind of came in to it uh, when we met, at least. You were sort of dipping your toes in extreme cinema and stuff with some I of the was, things you'd seen. Yeah. Um, I think the popularity of it speaks to some like enduring morbid curiosity about a lot of that stuff. Like when we were watching um, the Herschel Gordon Lewis. Mm-hmm documentary or whatever and it's oh yes the godfather of gore by frank hennen lauder that's the one yeah. um and it's talking about like with blood feast with what happened and then you know cars are they, they just put out this, mm-hmm. this shitty cheap movie thinking nothing would happen and then they find out that this traffic jam yeah, to caused get a traffic town, jam yeah it's like oh they're going to see our movie oh wow yeah. like okay um and anything else that has that same kind of like notoriety like 
trying, I don't know. That was the big one I could think of, but I'm sure there was some like for, other sort of 42nd Street era. Speaking of Herschel Gordon Lewis, I believe we might be recording it on his birthday today because I know he came up on social media for me today mm. with a quote attributed to him that I just found a little funny where it was, I think of movie making as a business and I pity anyone who thinks of it as an art form. <laughs> and it's like, that's peak <laughs> Lewis. That's like peak him. That, yeah, that's, uh, that, that is. I will disagree uh, with that yes. in that I think cinema is a very great art form. But That being said, though, that is the grindhouse way. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I appreciate it. it. I definitely That's appreciate so it. And it's one of those things that part of me is just like, if I could tap into the business side of things, that would then be... Then it'd be over for you, hoes. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we go into the book of the movies, we decided to sort of do an opening act on this one. And we watched Tales from the Crypts episode from 1991 called Top Billing. You'd never seen this before, had you? Mm-mm. And what did you think of it? It was fun. <laughs> yeah. Did that uh, ending kind of throw you? Yeah, I mean, I I didn't see it coming. But I, I, I will say, like, when it was happening, like, oh, of course. Of course <laughs> that, yeah, I, I believe it. Because there have been um, other things I've seen in the past where they, they have a similar sort of twist. And I've been like, no, it's not true. Don't believe them. Don't believe them. Mm-hmm. They're bullshitting you. And then it turns out, like, no, that's, what, that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. So for this one, it's like, yeah, I believe it. Yeah. Because uh, this was one of the early, like, one of the episodes I saw back when I was a kid and was sort of like dipping my toe in horror that it just stuck with me. Like, I watched it when I probably wasn't allowed to be watching it, and this episode stuck with me. But I remember it being hilariously great even when I was a, a kid. So maybe this was the start of my uh, gruesomeness as entertainment maybe. kind of phase because I remember a lot of the other stuff I'd seen earlier, like, we talked about Starship Troopers. Yeah. Um, feeling a bit queasy at the the sights they had. Like I loved the movie, but I was just thought like it was too gruesome. Or even by the time I got to see the Beyond, when I was just hitting my teens, um, I I thought it was too gross. Mm-hmm. And uh, yet this one, the the gooiness of it, kind of in my mind was a selling point. Hmm. So top billing. This one is uh, features John Lovitz as this actor who just can't seem to get his big break and he's going to all these auditions and just fucking them up uh the one we see at the start of the episode is he's supposed to be menacing and the casting agent is just like sorry no you're not believable as a killer you're not menacing enough <laughs> and all that kind of stuff which is a bit ironic given that it's tales from the crypt so of course murder is afoot at some point oh, in this yes. episode um, and i don't know looking at him it's like yeah if, if someone you know, if you saw him on, like, a, a lineup of guys, like, he could be a killer, sure. Yeah. He's, he's kind of greasy and creepy looking, so that very sort of stereotypical, kind of, like, Mr. Maniac type yeah, killer. Yeah. <laughs> Just not in the sort of, like, strong alpha, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, no, like, he's, he's no, uh... Like, they were hinting at machismo kind of right. thing, which, you know, he's a different kind of killer. Definitely. No, he's, he's the, like... I think Maniac's a good... Uh, yeah, like Maniac, exactly. Like, that's what I associate him with. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, he, he'd be believable. Yeah. Um, anyway, after the audition, he runs into his, like, acting rival, who is this... <laughs> arch nemesis. This fucking douchebag, yeah. like, fucking asshole guy who just does all these commercials, and he's totally in the Herschel Gordon Lewis camp of, it's just business, baby, whereas John yeah. Lovitz is all about the art of acting, like, his thespian art. Um... But this guy doesn't buy into his thespianism, and it's just one of those things where they're always at each other, and uh, when he finds out that John Lovins is going to go and audition for Hamlet, he decides to try and swoop the part just to teach him a lesson kind of thing. it's about having a face. Yeah, it's about you need a face. Not about actually having talent. Yeah, that's what everyone tells him. The casting agent's like, you don't got a face for it. Um, his agent's like, you don't got a face for, for this stuff. There's rivals, you don't got a face for it. His rival has a face. Yeah, his rival has a face. So it's all just like, fuck you, I'm, I'm doing this. And they both show up to the audition. And of course, the very eccentric uh, director comes out. And he... Oh, God, how does it play? Um, he, like, takes one look at John Lovitz. And it's just like... You're mm-hmm. Hamlet. <laughs> No, John Lovitz. Oh, sorry. Yeah. He takes one look at John Lovitz and it's just like, nope, looks at the other guy and is like, it's you. You've got a face we need for the role. You're perfect. Kind of thing. Dude doesn't even know the lines. Yeah, doesn't know the lines. John Lovitz character is like, I've done Hamlet forever. I know. Yeah, he's like, I reread the play last night and like he's ready for his monologue and the other guy showed up completely unprepared and he gets the role because he has a face. Mm -hmm. John Lovitz finally kind of snaps. 
and offs him. Um, yeah, strangles him, does the monologuing of his own while he does, and then goes to the director and says that his, after stashing the body, he says that the guy had to split. Worst case of stage fright I've ever seen. Yeah, that's that was it. That was it. And so he kind of gets the role by proxy. But that's when he finds out that the role they were auditioning for wasn't Hamlet, but was in fact Yorick. <laughs> or more specifically, Yorick's skull. And, ooh, lads, this... Uh, this goes over well. There's some twistedness going on at the end here. It's, it's a lot of fun. This was in uh, season three, I want to say. Two or three. And... Like I said, one of my favorite episodes. Got a soft spot for it. As far as what uh, it does say about the theater, is it's kind of interesting how the very murderously psychotic stage crew just get brushed off as eccentric. Like, mm-hmm. oh, they're just actor types. They're just artsy types. So this right. is what's expected. But it's like, no, they're they're raving. You know, <laughs> they're total murderers. And um, I kind of liked what that has to say about <laughs> about that whole thing because I, I like I said I did drama in so, like, university. We, we, and... We've all met a drama kid. Yeah, we have. So they have that particular intonation in their voice in their talking voices mm-hmm. that you just know. You just know you for just for, know. for good and for bad. You're just like you I, were I a drama kid. I remember one of the first times you brought that up where it was in I think a class we had in a lecture hall that ha- must have had like I don't know at least sixty people in it maybe around there and um somebody who who commented a lot in class which is fine you know keep the conversation going and everything but we were outside of class one time and you're like okay this sounds weird but there's that one person in our class who like you could you just know they're a drama kid for, because of their voice and i instantly knew you knew exactly what <laughs> you were about. talking about yep. i never thought about it that way but i was like oh shit you're right mm-hmm. and now anytime i hear that particular like dramatic like my voice and i talk like this and like i don't even know see i I, maybe part of that was me being a bit envious in the fact that it took me so long to get over public speaking right and like you know asking questions in class or doing well at oral presentations and stuff and here we are podcasting it's one of those things where you know like at the time you wouldn't have caught me doing this you wouldn't caught me dead trying to do this so it's uh maybe a bit of envy there but there is that kind of like that theater kid voice and mm-hmm. yeah this kind of just pumps that up to the extreme and makes them all like literal institutionalized murderers <laughs> you know like it's very much I mean, playing the the yeah. horror trope of the psycho patient being a murderer kind of thing but right. yeah i don't know from what i hear about people who are involved in the theater community i mean any arts type business thing it's all you hear is that it's it's cutthroat it's oh yeah like yeah, you need a really, really thick skin mm-hmm. to be able to survive. So it's funny that they kind of take that and go really extreme with it. Yeah. Where it's literally cutthroat. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So um, funny. It's a nice foil compared to how the uh, rival was sort of trying to break down mm-hmm. the realities of show business. To exactly. Our, yeah. It's like you want the reality of it. Let me show you, sir. Yeah. Um, but that was our little opening on this uh topic and our first from our, our prologue yes our prologue our, our first major act would have been 1970s wizard of gore by herschel gordon lewis the king happy birthday possibly yeah happy birthday possibly <laughs> now this one feels like it's the grand guignol mm-hmm. for sure like his yes. stage plays are just i guess the difference is that he's murdering people for real but it's but he's convincing everyone that it's just an illusion. He's just an illusionist. Yeah. Yes. Uh, do you want to give a quick rundown of this one is before we get into the... So the Wizard of Gore, we have Montag the Magnificent, which is an interesting name because that's like Monday in German. I believe possibly so. possibly some Scandi languages. Yeah. Yeah. So Monday the Magnificent. Yeah. Go with it. Whatever. Um, I mean, I guess, you know, you have Susan Sontag, so why can't you have Mr. Montag? <laughs> Perfect. That's exactly what they were going for. Exactly. Um, he is a magician, an illusionist. Mm-hmm. He puts on a show. And I think the first one is where he does that sort of classic, I'm going to saw the lady in half Yeah, the... Trick. Yeah. But there's a twist, is that you actually like see it happening. She's not in a box where you can do the, you know, the trick as it's done Have with the, two the women. The two people, yeah. Yeah, no, you're going to see her like 
torso be sawed into. Yeah, and the other sort of uh, little um, change evolution of the script on this one is that he's sawing her in half with a chainsaw. Mm, that is correct. A functioning yeah. chainsaw. Yeah. And so, of course, you you know, she's getting sawed in half. She's screaming. She's like, the blood's going everywhere. He's Montag sticking his hands in her guts. Being like, ah. Yeah, what the fuck was with that? Like, yeah. That I mean, was... I know what the fuck was with that. It was just like, how do I outdo myself from like Blood Feast exactly. and 2000 Maniacs? I'm going to just have some gut fisting. Fondle some intestines. But then, you know, everyone's horrified, but then they realize at the at, that after this sort of illusion is done, she's just standing there on stage mm-hmm. and she's totally fine. The woman looks totally zoned out, yeah. but she's alive, mm-hmm. seemingly. So it's just a really cool trick. Only later, this woman goes to a restaurant and somebody goes to talk to her. And then all she sits down at a, at a, at a, cha- at a table in a chair. And all of a sudden, she's sitting there with like her, all her guts fucking spilled yeah, out. Yeah, she just flops out and there's just guts everywhere. As if, the, as if she had left with the illusion still intact and then the spell broke or whatever yeah so oh shit is he actually killing people hmm what's going on here is it a maniac who saw his show and decided to recreate it we can't know for sure yeah so that's kind of the that's more or less the arc of the movie (laughs) um with it you have this woman who's a reporter a newscaster on tv something yeah and uh her boyfriend is this grouchy dude who just like (laughs) grouchy skeptic man yeah they show up and he's just like ah it's just an illusion i don't care about this and then she's just like totally into this stuff and wants to interview montag yeah yeah wants him on the show yeah wants him on the show those ratings but uh it's interesting how this does a flip on the Grand Guignol kind of mm. thing with uh, how, as you pointed out, we see the horrific murders and all that stuff, like the guts being pulled out and him like pulling eyes out and all this nastiness. And I do stress nastiness in that these scenes, the camera just is like a fixed close-up <laughs> of him just like finger-blasting guts or that like... Got at some butcher shop, clearly. Yeah, and it's just like goes on for minutes at a time mm. kind of thing. But then it'll like, the, the image... You'll hear revert. that bling! And it'll, it'll, like, like, it'll like revert back to her being fine and then it'll but yeah because like, that's what they're seeing yes. they're like when he's driving the spike in her head what is happening is he's driving the spike in her head and blood shooting out of her and she's dying but then what they see is the clink 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 and it just goes neatly into her ear and then he pulls it out and she's like i'm fine kind right. of thing right so it's almost a reverse where he's committing these illusions where he should be horrifically maiming them but that's not what the audience gets okay because i i took it as um they were seeing some of the horrific stuff, but that it would just kind of undo itself as the illusion ended. Okay, because... Well, ended with scare quotes. That's what I thought at first, too, but watching it this time, because mm-hmm. it would do that little thing where you hear the ding, and right. it would just cut to, like, them watching Stoneface, right. and there wouldn't be any of the gore. Like, my... I, I thought oh, that it was just okay. like, look, I'm not butchering them. Isn't that wild? But in reality, that he's just ripping sense. them apart. Yeah. Okay. Um, at least that's how I took it. But either way, yeah. there is ambiguity there. Well, given that nobody's like, woo! Like, yeah yeah so that makes sense but then it makes me i i guess he is just 100 percent billed as montag the magnificent he doesn't bill himself as the wizard of gore that's true um that's just for us yes uh, but then you st- we the people do find the aftermath and mm-hmm. uh he sort of hexed them into like what did he do he got his blood on their hands or he got blood like what the fuck was that about yeah the the blood that keeps appearing yeah the blood that appears on their hands i thought that was blood from the performance that he then like illusioned away the first time she got the because the reason he saw he was like oh maybe i will open up to you a bit was because she when they went to go see like oh what's the commotion at that restaurant Mm -hmm. and then they're pushing the body by and i think some the part of the body like the hand slipped out or something it got blood on her so it was the victim's blood okay. it was the victim's blood but it wasn't from the show itself it was more the like afterwards when it's like oh my god the woman's dead mm-hmm. so yeah he he saw the spot where the blood at least had been and yeah. he's so there's something that about that i don't know if it's because it it told him something about them as people mm-hmm. or if they're i don't, I don't it was ambiguous yeah it was kind of weird um it just yeah, felt like uh Mind you, what was it that, that uh, he's... Because at the beginning of the movie, they have that interview with him. And I think he... Herschel Gordon-Lewis. And I think he said something about... He's like, I made this movie in hopes that people would walk away from it going, what the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> Not quite those words exactly, but 
the that same sentiment, that sentiment. Yeah. yeah and it's like yeah you you achieved that dude yeah i would say so yeah so yeah go in mind with or keep it that in mind yeah as we're talking about its ambiguity but i feel like this movie also works as a precursor to like a more literal version of what they would dub much more contemporary terms torture porn mm-hmm. or it's like these big set pieces of someone being tortured graphically and it's like all there for the camera mm-hmm. this is like that at its most base version yeah like i i likened it uh once again his movies to sort of the fulci mm-hmm. camera where it's just i'm um, just gonna bring the camera right up in there and we're just gonna see some gore yep and that's that's the spectacle that's the whole point of mm-hmm. this what did you think of this one it was weird yeah but not in a bad way i feel I think like i liked it it's camp and mm-hmm. kitschiness sort of works in its favor it does um, it would have been interesting to see it at the time because this would have been almost a decade after blood feast mm. so it's no longer the first gore movie but it's still fairly early or it's still fairly notorious in that thing right so it's like unlike blood feast where you've never seen anything like this before you've unless probably you've gone s- to the grand Guillaume. yes unless you've gone but in cinema right never seen screen. anything like this before um this one you probably you possibly would have if you'd mm. uh sought it out and yet it's not so far removed that i don't know how much the kitsch factor would have played right so it's kind of interesting to think how this worked because apparently it did gangbusters like it just Mm, so so uh popular in the theaters um but like you know thinking of it like the things i like about it from a contemporary audience perspective they wouldn't have necessarily been factors when you're watching it so who Mm -hmm. knows how how it would have played right well that's a good point makes you think makes you think <laughs> so after this we decided to go a different direction with our next act and we watched dario argento's opera from 1987 oh yeah we did yeah we did it's been a long long week for us so it, oh, it's been a long couple of weeks honestly. yeah so this uh the watchings for this episode were kind of drug out just trying to get through it mm-hmm. around everything else Maybe um, everything's else yeah, but <laughs> opera. This uh, these were all first time watches for you, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Okay. A horror director is doing a staging of the opera of Macbeth, and uh, during rehearsals, uh, his star is just all pissed off about his terrible theatrics. Like he has what is it? The set for the opening scene is just like a wrecked World War plane with a huge. <laughs> skull floating like back projected across it something like that and uh there's like live ravens flying around and yeah, she um hates the birds. she can't stand that so she storms off and then gets run the fuck over <laughs> and so it is up to her understudy who is the main character of this movie to fill her shoes and be Play in this Lady play Macbeth. yeah um her concerns are that she's too young to play Lady Macbeth, that she doesn't have the range to play Lady Macbeth, that this is like her she's first not, yeah. breakout kind of role. But the concerns perhaps should also be there is a demented stalker who seems obsessed with her and is going ahead to kill everyone around her in an attempt to torment her. And not just kill them, but tie her up, put like needles under her eyes so she can't close them, mm-hmm. and she has to watch. Yep. So that's it's that spectacle there again. Where yeah. It's, it, yeah. He's like, you can't close your eyes, you'll, or you'll destroy them essentially, yeah. and bleed them out. Yeah. And this always happens when she, you know, it happens at the theater. It happens when she's at some dude's house. Like yeah. this guy's always following her. Is always able to get like, the jump. Yeah, get the jump on her, and the same thing happens every time. Yeah. And um, it kind of it. It's sort of a later period Jallo. Um, this, again, late 80s, uh, our gentle movie, this would have been after his big classics like mm-hmm. Deep Red, Suspiria, Tenebrae, and all that. But it has so many of the classic hallmarks of the genre, for mm-hmm. sure. Like, right from the beginning where we have the the raspy-voiced killer with yeah. the the black leather gloves and that the binoculars. Puts, like, the, I, I love that he puts... Um... Like latex gloves. Over yeah, the top he slaps the gloves over yeah, them. He's like, like, "I'm not ruining my leather." And I, I get can't it. get gloves like this anymore. Um, you get that return return from like from the tales from the crypt of this very cutthroat business, the prima donna type mm-hmm. leading lady who gets hit by a car, 
What does she do? She sends she sends the new her the understudy some like you know it, it's that very backhanded like oh good luck out there. It's like good luck out there, you, you snake. Yeah, I hope you fucking die. Yeah, but good luck, break a leg, and I mean it, <laughs> like that kind of thing. Where it's this very like competitive. Yeah. Just yeah, cutthroat type. Don't count on having any friends in this business. Mm-hmm. And I think that cutthroat sort of aspect really helps play up the Jalo mystery of who could it be? Because mm-hmm. it could be anyone. And like even the people that are her friends, it's like if it turned out to be them, it's they, like I, it's like there there would be it, a motive. It there, would fit within the Jalo sort mm-hmm. of framework. Um, I mean, you know, with the Jalo framework, you can make literally anyone the killer, and this you could probably true. make it fit. But it, I felt this was a. Didn't feel maybe, maybe there's there's more out there, but I, I thought it would have been cool to see like that it took this long for there to be like a Jallo set around a stage play being mm-hmm. staged. And so if there are other ones that I don't know about, uh, let me know. Yeah, hit yeah. us up on Twitter because I'd Please. be interested to see see more. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, going back to the spectacle. You'd mentioned the uh, pins, the needles put under her eyes. Yeah. Forced to watch. That's like... To me, that almost read like a comment on Argento's films mm. in sort of like a backwards kind of like looking back kind of way, like a retrospective, because this came sort of after the golden at the tail end of the golden mm. period period of Italian horror after Jolly had already kind of Hit been. Its peak yeah, it's eclipsed the, at this yeah. point. But it, it's uh, I think a good comment on the way the excesses of the genre kind of blew up, because like, like, look at, uh, for example, uh, Lucio Fulci. You've got his early, early stuff like uh, Lizard in a Woman's Skin and Don't Torture a Duckling, which they're pretty extreme, especially mm-hmm. stuff like uh, in Duckling when we see the guy fall off the cliff and his face explode on the rocks. Mm-hmm. And I mean explode. You can see the charges <laughs> that were blowing up his face. Um, you get stuff like that. But for the most part, it's a lot more restrained and subtle. And then moving into his movies like uh, The Black Cat, The Beyond, House by the Cemetery... It's just, that's where you get the Fulci cam, where it's just mm-hmm. slamming into you with the gore right in your face. Like eye popped and shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, like, by the end of, like, after opera in the early 90s, you've got uh, Cat in the Brain, also called Nightmare Concerto. It's uh, this, it is one of the goriest things I've ever seen. Like, it's just obscene with how much gruesomeness there is to it. And so, it almost feels like this is a good late Italian horror comment on, like, you think you've seen it all? Well, you can't look away at these new right. heights of discussingness. And that that kind of speaks to me of the Grand Guignol a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. what can we show you? How can we push this envelope? Uh, how can we make this more extreme? Keep it interesting. Yeah, so... Um, Keep your attention, I guess, would be the more... Yeah. It's not necessarily interesting, but it's it's enough of a spectacle that you will... You, like you said, you won't be able to look away. Yeah. Because I figure a lot into the Italian horror movies, Mm -hmm. but in this one, how much does it come up? Like, the opening scene is on the raven's eye as it's watching everyone, and, like, the credits play over that, Mm -hmm. and we get all these shots throughout of the close-up of the raven's eye while it's watching. I think, I keep saying raven, I think it's raven, it might be a crow, I don't know my birds that well. (laughs) Um... We have the needles under the eyes and kind of thing. And we have close-up macro shots of, like, how close these needles yeah. are to her actual, like, sclera and... Yeah, it's ugh. right there. And then we get yeah. that one shot where uh, she's hiding in the apartment and the person's looking through the people and she gets shot right through the eye kind right. of thing. Like, she's trying to see yeah. who the killer is. It's like, wait, I know you. And as soon as she says that, it's a bam, right through the eye. Um, ah, yes. <laughs> this, I, I remember commenting um, how seeing her in this movie, I don't know how old she was at this point. Like, not old or anything, but um, I don't know how much compared to, like, some of the earlier ones. Mm-hmm. But well, any- for reference, this was 10 years after Suspiria. Okay. Okay. Well, anyway. I guess I don't know how old she was in that. Because I know she was involved. Anyway. It's okay. Anyway. Um, in this one, I could totally see there. Like, I think I remember commenting, like, okay, I see how she's Asia Argento's mom. Like, yeah, totally. Absolutely yeah. see the, the resemblance. Yeah, there's 100%. a lot of family resemblance there. That's yes. for sure. Not that that's relevant to anything we're talking about, but it, it came up. It's horror trivia. There you <laughs> yeah. go. <laughs> It's something. Yeah, if you, like, just took, like, Dario's eyes and, like, put them on... On her face. On her face, it's like, there she is. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Um, what did you think of this movie? I liked it. Um, 
I'm trust God. Yeah, this this past couple of weeks have been such a whirlwind. I'm like, what did I like about it? I'm like, yeah. well, I mean, the I thing that was so like, ooh, mm-hmm. you went there. Respect, man. Yeah. Respect for going there. Um, I like who <laughs> who killer ends up being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it worked out. Uh, well, I can't really say at this point if it was predictable or not. I've seen mm-hmm. this one a few times now. I had um, it down between two guys. And and I was I, I got to a certain point. I'm like, okay, I think it has to be the other guy. So you had like a 50-50 shot at I him did, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And towards the end, I was like, I think it's that guy. And I was like, oh, it was. Cool. But maybe that's just because I've seen enough of these now that it's like, okay, I think. I've yeah, seen you, enough episodes of Scooby-Doo. I can usually deduce at least. Yeah, like you grew up on 50, crime 50, shows. Maybe 33, 33, 33. I'm sure we're probably going to get like a bunch of uh, Jalo that we're going to watch at some point, And I'm going to be like, oh, I love, I, I, I can't wait to see how blown away you are by who the killer is. It's going to blow your mind. And then like two minutes in, you're going to be like, it's that guy. <laughs> it's that dude. I've seen CSI. I law and ordered. Yeah, it might yeah, happen. We'll it see. might happen. <laughs> uh, for the next one, we stayed in the realm of Italian horror, uh, but we did something that was a little bit different than your yeah, typical Jallo. Uh, it was Stage Fright, also from 1987. This one uh, directed by Michele Suavi, who also did Cemetery Man, one of my all-time mm. favorite movies, and uh, was the first AD for a lot of Argento stuff, and always showed up in his movies. Um, or movies that Argento was producing. Like in Demons, he's the guy with that metal mask kind of okay. thing. In uh, Fulci City of the Living Dead, he's the dude who watches his uh, date puker guts out. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he kind of, uh, yes. he's sort of like the Sean Bean of these movies for the most part. Like in this one, he's the cop who thinks he looks like James Dean. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, is this like one of the few times I've seen you like not eat shit immediately? <laughs> Because, like, in Blast Fighter, he was the the boyfriend who got fucking killed in the creek. Um, But anyway, so Stage Fright. I fucking love the opening of this fucking movie. (laughs) We see, like, a street scene, and there's this uh, lady of the night kind of, like, and I said, like, the most cliche kind of getup, smoking on the street corner, and some guy drives by and yells something. She, like, ignores him, and she's going through the alley. And she hears this noise, and when she turns, these hands shoot out of the dark and, sh- and pull her into the dark of this doorway and strangle her to death. And then all these people come around. It's like, oh my god, there was a murder. And it's like your typical kind of little like mystery cold open to these kind of movies. But everything's got this weird kind of artifice to it in the mm-hmm. sense it's like everyone's overreacting. The sets are not that good. And it's just like, it kind of looks cheap almost. And that is until the killer springs out from the alley, jumping over everyone's head in this black suit and this giant owl head. And giant he does a somersault head. and then starts dancing. And that's when it pulls out and we realize we were watching a play. And there's like that lady dressed as Marilyn Monroe just rocking out on the saxophone on the <laughs> fire right. escape. Like, yeah. I fucking love that. Um, but basically what we get is there's this play of a murderer, this owl, this anonymous owl-headed murderer just going around killing people. And it just seems like it's trying to be a salacious, edgy, edgelord kind of play. Like, I mean, they're rehearsing a rape scene where it's just like, yes, this is where the victim rapes her attacker. Isn't that like edgy and like inspired and all that kind of stuff? And we're just like, okay. Like, right. (laughs) Um, Yeah, sure, buddy. But we have this dancer, Alicia, who has, she's one of the main characters in the play. Alicia. Alicia. She's injured her leg, and so she's trying to duck out to go to a hospital to get a doctor to look at it before her um, next call. Or yeah, whatever. before her next call, because she doesn't think she'll be able to continue. And unfortunately for her, she runs over and uh, ends up get like they're calling for her before she's back. She ends up getting fired from the play. But while she's out at the hospital, they find out this mass murderer who would just uh, dismember people is uh being tiny held pieces. there yeah yes. tiny pieces he's being held there and of course he manages to escape and hitch a ride back with them mm-hmm. and after killing the wardrobe assistant who took who took alicia to it, the hospital yeah she was the one that drove her there kills the wardrobe assistant and so when alicia takes the key to like this the, to like yeah the, she's got the key to the, the door doors. she's got the key to all the doors so now or the killer shit. has the key to all the doors but then they find the body of the wardrobe assistant, and that is when they decide to up their spectacle game. Oh, and God, they're yeah. just like, okay, there's no longer an anonymous killer. This is 
what, Irving Wallace, the killer who literally just escaped from the hospital and murdered one of the people in the play, murdered an actor in the play. He specifically went to the press and then made her an actor as yeah. opposed to a lowly, lowly wardrobe yes. assistant, as they say. Um, and he wants to rewrite the play and have it open in three days' time because the press will be so big that they'll be able to sell out. And yeah, it's just say people are going to come and, and look, look at the murder scene. So if we have a box office right there saying a play about this is opening up Friday night or whatever in three days' time, yeah, we're going to sell out. It's like the sleaziest fucking thing oh, it is, ever. And they even have the, like, what's his name? Ferrari? The Yeah, Mr. The, Ferrari. The sleazy businessman who's like, go get some more money. We're going to make this happen. Yeah. And it's shady stuff. So He's got his briefcase full of money. Yep. <laughs> um, talk to his associates. So they decide to lock themselves in overnight. And by they decide, I mean the director decides to lock the skeleton crew in overnight to rehearse the play. Unfortunately for them, they are locked in with the actual killer. Very slasher movie style. And um, they don't know it yet. They don't know it yet. Uh, but then there's the big reveal. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, we um, we get this the scene where a woman is going to be killed, mm-hmm. where she's she's in her in her bed. Yeah, she's dancing around this bed like posing with mannequins yeah. and all that. Because yes, it seems to be a musical dance number, but with no singing. Yeah, something like it's, it's, it's odd. It's almost like modern dance ballet slasher movie play. It's weird. must be that same horror director who's like, let's make this. Yeah, now. it's the dude from opera. This was this was also what he's doing. <laughs> or it's like his son. Anyway, um, so they're like they're calling for the guy who plays the killer, the, mm-hmm. the Irving Owlface Wallace. Irving Owlface Wallace. That was his full name. Yep. Please call me Irving Wallace. Owlface was my dad. It's <laughs> <That's> my father. <laughs> um, and so Owlface Killer Man is. They're like, hurry up, hurry up. Where the fuck is is he? Mm. And he finally emerges and they're like come on come on you missed you like you missed your cue hurry up mm-hmm. and then and so he's sh- he you know is up on stage he's and supposed to be starts killing. strangling her start, yeah. like, and the director like kill her kill her already and he pulls out of like a fucking knife and like what's the knife for and yeah. he starts uh, i love that he's like her. strangling her it's like kill her already then he pulls out this huge he's kitchen like, knife okay and like she's terrified because she's actually being strangled yeah, right she, like, and then he's just like what's the knife got to do with anything and he just starts fucking stabbing her in the gut and it's like oh i don't i, I think that that's great if we're going back to this idea like the co- the commenting on on spectacle and mm-hmm. on the, uh, the excesses of it and stuff that could be a great moment for how easy it is to get wrapped up in that and be endorsing things like, mm-hmm. yeah, killer, slash your fucking throat. Like, I think of how they talk about um, how movie theater audiences for slashes uh-huh. and stuff can get very... Uh, Rambunctious? Yeah. Well, it's uh, interesting, too, because um, to go with that, like, everyone's thinking it's a good performance, and they're all watching Riveted, and then it's at the dawning realization that the safety of it being an illusion or being fake being taken away from them and that it's an actual murder it's at that dawning that that it just immediately flips and they've gone from like bloodthirsty like wow this is great to just like oh my god this is horrifying kind of Mm -hmm. thing but and how thin that line seems to be thin it is and and just how and thin the line is between when it's okay to be emboldened like feel emboldened to Mm -hmm. be like yeah kill her kill her and how thin the line is between like they couldn't tell it was fake until he, she was literally being stabbed in the guts. Yeah. Like, and the other thing is, it wasn't fake. They thought it was fake, yes. but he was actually That's strangling what I mean. her. They, yeah, it's, yeah. It's like they thought it was just a great performance. Yeah. So how thin that line is too between mm-hmm. like perf- just pure performance versus actual violence. Yeah. And then uh, the movie kind of continues on with them getting picked off. Yeah, picked off one by one, unable to escape. Because Owlface has the key. Yep. And uh, it, you know, in a slasher movie fashion, it's whittled down to one survivor, and we get a nice set-piece confrontation. And the set-piece, I just want to note, is also a bit about the spectacle, too, because he's posed all the victims on the stage. Mm-hmm. And there's just... Throwing this, fucking feathers everywhere. Yeah, like, he, the, the fan the is turned on, is blowing feathers everywhere. And he's, he's turned on the music, and he's just sitting there. Like, like on his throne. Petting the cat Lucifer. Yes. <laughs> I love yes. that. The cat named Lucifer. Lucifer. Who's a very gorgeous cat, by the way. Yes, we love Lucifer. But yeah, he's just like, look at my creation. I'm just going to sit here like the fucking king of it all. You got you like the wizard of gore. I'm the king of gore, mm-hmm. and here I am. Kiss my feet. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I like about this movie is it plays like a slasher movie. 
even though it's an Italian movie. And it, you did, going into it, you described me as like an Italian ripoff of a slasher. Or not a ripoff, but um, a attempt to simulate an American slasher. Yeah, because American slashers owe a lot to Jallo movies. Mm-hmm. And then rather than this be a newer Jallo movie, like opera from the same year, I would say is a Jallo, mm-hmm. follows that, that form. Yeah. Whereas this is doing the American slasher impression of a jello yeah, kind exactly. of thing <laughs> like you have a lot of the same conventions like the mask gloved killer and uh the big murder set pieces the who could it be who done it that's less ambiguous in this because they all know that it's this irving guy but they don't know where he's going to strike from so like mm-hmm. the mystery is more in that slasher vein yeah but you have the gory set pieces of the uh italian horror kind of things because this movie has a lot of disembowelment people cut in half decapitations all that kind of fun stuff it doesn't uh, shy away from any of that. No, so it does not. even off the stage, it fits into a very sort of splattery kind of aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, what'd you think of this one? It was good. It definitely kept up the tension where, mm-hmm. yeah, this guy's like, you know, running around hiding like he knows the place yeah. or something. And there are so many places, when you think about how much goes on. Yeah, I love how he's probably the least familiar with yeah. that building. Like, everyone else there has been working there. Exactly. <laughs> so it's kind <laughs> of funny. And he's always got the jump. I never thought of that. That's pretty I just, funny. I just kind of thought of that as I was saying it. Yeah. Yeah, because when you think about how much goes on behind the scenes of a play and all the stuff that you don't see, it's like... It's busy. Yeah, there's a, there and there are a lot of potential places. Because you're purposefully obscuring the mm-hmm. view of the, you know, keeping them in darkness, keeping them behind things so that you don't see the mechanisms and you can kind of get you know forget that 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 what is the fourth wall yeah type thing is broken and mm-hmm. then you're just immersed in it yeah so yeah there it's a good setting it, it is it's a great setting <laughs> yeah um no i quite like this one i feel like it takes a little while to get going mm-hmm. like especially if you look at it like a slasher movie kind of thing but when it does, it's really goes. It goes. Like you're yeah. not disappointed by what they throw at you. And there's these moments that kind of poke fun of the slasher genre kind of thing. Like, you know, the killer that never seems to die kind of thing. And uh, just these little inversions. Like, I fucking love Willie, where he's just, like obsessed with his gun. He's just like, I swear I would have got him right between the eyes. And just stuff and you like just that. keep saying that. I was like, you you in a little bit of shock there, man. <laughs> like, you're just repeating the same thing yeah. over and over and over. And I know we're stoked right now, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a. Uh, sound like a broken record. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But no, I, I recommend this movie heartily. Mm-hmm. It's it's good fun. It is. What I don't recommend is the next it's movie. The next movie we watched. We decided to do something that we've done before. In that, hey, we're watching a movie, sort of a cult classic, and it was remade. We should watch the remake, and so we watched 2007's Wizard of Extremely Gore. Extremely 2007. Extremely 2007. Um, I'm just going to say this off the bat. Kudos for making your movie, following your bliss, you getting it out there. That's more than I've done. But at the same time, oh my god, I did not care for this movie at all. And it's it's really too bad because it had a lot of potential. Okay, let's get through this potential here. We've got a remake of Wizard of Gore. Like, this is a Herschel Gordon-Lewis movie, so the plot is threadbare, and it's just, just be splattery. That's the one thing you have to top, is be splattery. And it doesn't top it. Well, the, the potential I was going for was no, that... No, no, no. Yeah, because yeah, it, do- it really doesn't. But then beyond that, there's more yeah, potential. there is. We have Crispin Glover as the Wizard of Gore, Montag the Mag- Magnificent himself. That right there like kind of made me think that no matter how bad this movie could be at least it's gonna be good (laughs) because there's crispin exactly and we have um and we have jeffrey combs in it we have brad dorif in it yeah jeffrey combs plays the geek who opens the show by like chomping on a live rat and eating maggots like every night covering his tongue in them yeah it's pretty gross yeah um um brad dorif plays what's his name dr Dr. chong (laughs) who's like this new age healer but but he also sounds like a, very a Texan. Shady gentleman. Yeah. Yeah, he's like well, our first introduction to him is he goes to this the the guy goes to the strip club, and there's everyone in there is Asian in in some capacity, and they're Dr. talking Chong. about Dr. Chong over and over again. So I think that this almost plays with like that sort of the like expectation. white ignorance kind of thing, right. but also by showing white ignorance, <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's. 
weird to it's, say the least because then dr chong rocks out and it's brad like, dorf with this like biker goatee and he's just like all right time to bleed it out of you man <laughs> <laughs> and like no knocking those the, the that like brad dorf's performance is yeah, probably the best performance it. in the movie i don't know chris Benz is pretty fucking great it i but i i, I, I took issue okay well, yeah i will say? say there were times where it definitely it collapsed and it was just crisp and glover yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't that Montag. part didn't bother me. But it didn't bother this me. rendition of Montag, I, I still stand by this, and this is for bad and for good. Is if you got Crispin Glover to play a combination of Willy Wonka and the dude with the thumb thumbs and Spy Kids, <laughs> like he is the mishmash. Floops Fugles. Yeah, he's Floops Fugle by way of Willy Wonka. If you got Crispin to play him, which they yeah. did, and, and then gave him a is... David Bowie from labyrinth oh my god that fucking package like he's wearing this white suit with (laughs) if you thought david bowie's endowment was something like this is just if this film was shot in 3d it would have broken my fucking neck that's all i can say (laughs) yeah the wizard of gore's unit man it's uh it's a spectacle in and of itself oh my god is it ever oh yeah and then more stunt casting um wizard of gore has got a lizard of more (laughs) oh god this movie, in extremely 2007 fashion, also has several suicide girls as, like, the most of the victims. Yeah. Because, of course, it does, because it's 2007. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it, uh-huh. it's extremely 2007 in many ways. That was, And it's funny, when you when you told me we were watching, you're like, I think this was 2011. I'm like, no, it was, like, 2007. And you checked, and you're like, it was exactly, exactly 2007. 2007. You so, know your 2000s well. Evidently. I mean, I lived them. And and had I seen this in 2007, I probably would have been like, well, it was weird, but like, that was all right. Like, yeah. Another thing I said is it felt like it was trying to do what Repo the Genetic Opera eventually did aesthetically, but, but like shit, on no money yeah. and like really shitly. It, it, or at least if it did, if it had money, it spent it all on the stunt casting. It spent it all on their faulty tripods to make every single oh shot God, at every Dutch Angle. Every single shot was fucking canted angle. Every, every single one. Every And not in a way that was remotely shot. endearing. Like, no! Like... Sam Raimi can pull that off. Yeah. Ash vs. Evil Dead, it's like in your face, but it fucking it, works. It does. No, there's so many things that it's like, this doesn't work. Yeah, it was, uh... And, and another one thing you pointed out was that they took a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie and still somehow managed to be a million times more misogynistic than like anything that dude could have <gasps> ever I know. imagined. Like, how the fuck does that happen? Like, I've fucking seen Gorgor Girls, and that movie makes me fucking nauseous. And this was worse as far as, like, just everyone has this fucking gross attitude. Like, this, everyone in this movie fucking hates women. Yeah. In this like, way that's not, women. like... <laughs> like ironic or clever or fun or it's not like it's a movie that's about misogyny because it is they try to point at that but yeah. they are still being misogynistic yeah, while it's, being it's about not, it. it's not in that like american psycho way where mary Heron's yeah. like well yeah it's about misogyny but it's like a portrait of misogyny and there's that awareness and that yep. like this is bad mm-hmm. whereas this is like no i don't get the sense that they're saying that hey don't be like this if anything like he's we see it rewarded yeah extensively yeah if anything they they acknowledge it's not kosher to think this way but it's fine if you do yeah well i mean but this is also like because you pointed out the guy the main character whatever the fuck his name is um he sucks he he yeah he's, he's a trust fund kid who's living in some like industrial uh, industrial building in la okay so it's like if dipshit lord dipshit who started vice magazine decided it was actually starting it on a trust fund in his basement and it was just him with a single printing press trying to be like the hipster version of that but a 19 but a hipster who like cosplays the 1950s yeah like steampunk without the punk yeah it's almost like, like it's like the good old days but then you point out misogyny but he's like oh i don't actually have a problem with that part oh yeah no that's the good part yeah yeah, yeah that's the part that i want um yeah, and he has some shitty, like, newspaper that nobody reads. And so you pointed out, you're like, had this, you know, five years later, he would have been a, he would have been a blogger in the manosphere. Oh my god, I feel has, like ten years later, I'd be watching his fucking, like, vape tricks on YouTube. Yes, yeah, yeah, and he has one, because, you know, everyone in this movie is heavily tatted, obviously. And he just has this one, like, fucking, I don't know, was it like a hammer or some shit on yeah. his neck? He looks like a Nazi. Like, and then there's the part where he's at the fucking first performance and this dude, it's at he, Halloween. It's a, yeah. This dude is literally dressed like a Nazi and, and they're like, best buds. Like, hey. Hans, what's up? 
And like it, it's like it's never addressed at at like best at best best best. And that is it's ironic racism, and that's which just is it. not and good. That is so two thousands with yeah. like oh look, it's a guy that's dressed as a fucking like stormtrooper. And not the Star Wars kind. Like you mentioned, kind. Patty Hitler from Pink Flamingos is less problematic than this Yes! Guy. Yeah, this is their Patty Hitler, but even that they couldn't make... Like, Patty Hitler is inexplicable, whereas this just seems woven into that sort of, like, white boy edgelord yeah. fucking culture. It's just like, oh, that tracks. Yeah, yeah, it's like, they would be associated with that fucking guy right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, he if that, dude, if that dude was still running the uh, Cacophony Gazette or whatever the fuck it's called, like... If, if it was still being printed in L.A., it would be... He, he's probably actually now handing out pamphlets about, like, white genocide and population replacement. He'd have ads for, like, recruiting for the Proud Boys and stuff it, yeah, like totally. that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, this guy is, like... He looks like a fucking skinhead, but a, like, hipster trust fund version of... He like, looks like a fucking Proud Boy. Like, 100%. Like, but he not, looks like the Nazis we see today that try to do the whole dapper thing. Mm-hmm. And then fucking articles are just like, oh, look at the stylish new front of the alt-right. And it's like, that's this fucking dipshit. Now we're naming the free platform to talk about why we should exterminate all of the people of color from the North American continent. The only thing that's different about this guy is he doesn't espouse anything overtly racism. He sticks to his misogyny. Yes. And also that he didn't get that platform, so he had to make his own, and it's garbage and no one reads it. Exactly. Except maybe Dr. Chong, but he's not even Asian. Yeah, No. He's just another Texan guy. trucker guy, Dr. Chum. <laughs> um, there's definitely a misogyny problem in this movie. Yeah. Um, and you want, another thing you pointed out, yeah, the misogyny problem, you pointed out that because in the original Wizard of Gore, we have the reporter who's the woman, or not reporter, the like, TV, newscaster, yeah. newscaster who's a woman, and it's her skeptic, like, husband, boyfriend, whatever, that is like, I'm not really convinced, I don't really want to go along with this. Whereas they flip that in this one, and they just somehow managed to make it still like so much more misogynistic yeah yeah they flipped it and he's just like i believe this i believe there's something going on so i'm gonna keep showing up night after night and watch people get murdered and my intervention women get murdered yeah his intervention is that he's gonna like pop a chubby while watching them get murdered and then follow them home he's like coming in his pants oh yeah yeah like sticky ass yeah there's this fucking thing where like his neck is cracking the whole movie and there's this fully cracking thing it just occurred to me that the popping noise is probably the crustiness of his fucking calvins (laughs) from like jizzing all night long that's not his neck cracking that's his fucking like starched underwear yeah his fucking jizz starched underwear chubby popping against it Um, we really like this movie if you couldn't tell yeah but the misogyny problem shows up in so many ways like in the original wizard of gore he's like looking for volunteers he's always like who will be here and he always picks a woman to kill a woman on stage Mm -hmm. i know a lot of times the men pushing them up to yeah go up there baby in this one they wait till the geek who's eating the maggots and the rat has grossed everyone out that as soon as a woman stands up to leave he just yells sit down bitch you're You're, gonna die tonight you're gonna die tonight slut and that's how it goes every single every performance. Fucking, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so, they're all suicide girls that play them. Yeah, or at least most of them. I, I recognize a couple for sure. Oh, 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 oh! And the big uh, plot twist is that they are actually all part of a harem of sex workers, and that makes them more disposable because sex workers yes, are disposable. Because at, at, at the beginning, that uh, was so much sarcasm when I said yes. that. By the way, yeah, we talked about this extensively. Um, in our Girls on Screen episode. Yep. Yeah, because it starts out where the first victim that he sees, at least, is Cayenne. I think that's She's it. a stripper. Mm-hmm. And so there's already that sex His girlfriend out. just kind of, like, shames him for yeah, knowing. Like, oh, it's you, like, oh, yeah, everyone ew. knows her, right? Yeah. And then, so, yeah, you have all these strippers being killed. And then not only were they strippers, but they were moonlighting as, like, BDSM bottoms. Yeah. They were subs, and they let men just beat on them and pay to brutalize them. So no fucking wonder this is happening And I like how there's no fucking comment on their pimp. Like, Dr. Chong is not remotely culpable. No! For any of this. No! It's It's, like, turned to then like reinforced like that is why they did this because they were in this lifestyle so they fell into this kind of thing so of course it happened if anything them. the complicity of dr chong is his property got stolen exactly yeah he's he's just upset about that he's just like where'd my bitches be at and like, like there's nothing critical about it like not no. even the slightest critical thing on that heaven forbid but yeah no there was just like ugh I think it's several times during the thing, the main dude, he was like, oh, I don't know, something's going on. I'm like, can you go kill yourself now? Like, This guy was the please. worst. Yeah, he was the fucking worst. And the more his neck cracked, the more it was just like, this is 
Oh, I hate this so much. And he's like constantly huffing from this paper bag. Yeah, oh yeah, that was the stupidest thing. Well, it couldn't ever. have been more obvious that that was how he was getting dosed constantly because not only they did because it was like at first when you saw him like, oh, like when someone's hyperventilating. Yeah. Okay, but then oh, they constantly at the point that's like, what's in the bag? And he's like, nothing. What's in the bag? Nothing. What do you got in that bag? And like they keep pointing out, so it's like, okay, we get it. The drugs are in the bag, kind of right. thing. Um, but he's just constantly huffing it, and his attitude made me feel like it was probably full of his own farts. And <laughs> yes. he was just huffing his own farts this and shit taint just smell. So good. Yeah. Like he just like Ugh. takes his underwear that's sweaty and rings it oh, into the bag. God, yeah. Oh, the fucking douchebag. Yeah. Yeah. No, this movie was really bad. So, what do you think of this one? sucked ass <laughs> this was the first time watch for both of us yeah, neither it, of us liked it it um, had to, it just it was a victim so in so many ways of its time oh and then and then um we had what was the fucking name jiggly or some shit jinkies jinky jinky i don't know there, there's there's their dude jankum jank yeah it was jankum that's it we got jankum we got the friend who's a fucking like csi tech so yeah this was like we're gonna remake the wizard of gore we're going to try and fail to have that sort of like repo the genetic opera aesthetic but also csi because that's really big right now yeah and it uh, oh and the fucking like poor me white boy pitying oh, monologues were the worst he's such a mary sue yeah thank you please go into this oh, we were my talking god, about yeah, this oh god yeah no he was it's just like he sucks he has nothing to offer anyone but he gets like rewarded in the end and it's like you can tell there's some like, wish fulfillment going on there because, like, they talk about my sense of style, my sense of self with my suits and my blah, blah, blah. And I, was like, and I could like, not care less. Yeah. Like, die already. Like, he's got his fucking apartment that's all retro out. Like, they bring the DVD over he's the like, CD. you know I can't play that here. Yeah. I don't have anything He does to everything play on, like, an old school press kind of thing. Like, I just think, like, like that's so sort of, like... masturbatory. But, yeah, it's, it's like, why do people... Like, you're a horrible person... You suck ass and just are fucking terrible, and yet you have people who are like care about you somehow. Yeah. Like, how does that? That's really fake. Yeah, it was very Mary it's Sue. It's not believable. Yeah, very Mary Sue. Larry Sue. Larry. Yeah. Oh, I heard when I was younger, I heard it called Gary Sue. Oh, okay. <laughs> Names that rhyme. Names that rhyme. But yeah, it's it's uh, yikes. But yeah, this. It, it, but that's what I mean. It's just it's so two thousand. It's like two thousands just fucking threw up <laughs> into a mason jar and was like, "Here it is. It's the Wizard of Gore, two thousand seven. I really hope this gets a re-release sometime, just so they can put you as a poll quote on it. <laughs> <laughs> that would that would make my day. Some bitch who's gonna yeah, it'll quote it like some bitch who's gonna die tonight. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus. Ugh. Well, that really brought down the mood that was like you know if, if we set this up like there's the prologue these are the acts this is one of those like things where it just like shat its own pants in the final act and called it art but you know they the even act. reference piss christ in it yeah they do <laughs> that's right but all the acts piss christ is art is somehow more art than, yep yeah more uh compelling but all the acts of our uh program this week were at least entertaining up to this point like yes. i think we did mostly good on the watches yeah, um yeah go figure the untested watch ended up disappointing the shit out of us because uh it i'd happens. seen everything else mm -hmm. but hey that's part of the mystery i kind of like throwing the curveballs in there exactly yeah you it, it, we're not here to like shit on stuff but, but then every once in a while something crawls shit. its way out of the toilet yeah mid dump and you're just like quick i gotta keep going gotta yep. get that down yep. there yeah can't let that crawl in my ass yeah it tried. It, oh, it fucking did. tried. <laughs> okay, so um, on a more positive note, we got some recommendations. Sort of. Yeah. It was a bit of a harder week to find recommendations. Yeah, um, we kind of mined out the what, the availability of uh, yeah. stuff that Yeah, this was, was a bit of a topic. niche topic for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, why don't you go first? Sure. I, um, I haven't seen this one in its entirety, and it's been a long time since I saw part of it, so I can't actually speak to how good it is. But it is 1989's Phantom of the Opera. It's, it's mm. there, are, of course, a million versions of Phantom of the Opera. There are so on many. On stage, on film, on... We like, almost included versions of it mm -hmm. in this episode, but... Yeah. This one has Robert Englund in it. Oh, Nightmare Fetty. Nightmare Fetty. Um, it's, it, and it is explicitly horror. Like, I mean, Phantom of the Opera, the story of it 
lends itself like I would call it potentially a horror story, but it's not absolutely played as such. At least not in like that very genre. Well, for way. the film, like the classic movies, they they are part of like the universal horror canon, that's right? For sure. Yeah, because I'm thinking of that one that came out um, with like. Like the musical? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Like the actual, yeah, like um, Gerard Butler and Andy right. Ross. Yeah, my understanding is it doesn't play like, like it may have that horror aesthetic to it, but it's not. That's a- horror elements because, yeah, you have this fucking masked phantom creeping mm-hmm. around the opera house. Nobody knows where he is, but all they know is he shows up, he drops off plays and like, or he drops off operas that he wrote and he's like, you have to perform this or else. Mm. And he's lusting after the leading lady, Christine. So yeah, it's like, yeah, that's, that's horror guys. But it's definitely, um... It's played more like a drama, gotcha. I guess. So, whereas this 1989 version is more explicitly, like, leaning into the, like, yeah, this is a horror story, mm. and we're going to play it as such. So, different different tonally, that's for sure. Yeah. Cool, cool. Um, I'm going to scrap my original recommendation and mm-hmm. piggyback immediately off the back of yours, because mm-hmm. I just remembered. I'm going to recommend Brian De Palma's, I think... 76 but i'm not 100 his uh phantom of the paradise mm. which is the weird cult rock opera <laughs> version of it that is just totally batshit it is all over the place um i haven't seen this in years but i remember it being a lot of fun so sounds like it that's one i've been meaning to revisit sick cool that'll do it for us this week yes. um a very sort of tired busy yeah. week for us so uh we hope that that doesn't come across as much in the episode but Not too much at least for um, me especially yeah but hey you finished up that course yep um worked this morning dealing with a bunch of uh worked all week life shit that's just kind of made it busy so yeah not bad shit luckily nope. just just life just shit busy yeah shit. yeah so it's um we can go into the next week fresh Yes. Cool. Hopefully. Until then, we will certainly take it easy and keep it sleazy and try to get that energy back up for next time. Emphasis on the take it easy. (laughs) Yes, exactly. 